this whole idea that you have one hand to make money and the other hand to then create a charity like that is fundamentally flawed in the fact that you have to wrap those things together if you're not if your business isn't contributing positively to a better world you need to pivot your business like right now so that's an issue i think another challenge has been the way sustainability has been sort of sidelined as a department and it often sits in the back end of a business in its operations and they you know there's all these certifications and, and boxes to tick instead of being out the front of the business really driving its strategy and how it's in the marketplace i mean globally consumers get blamed you know that people want convenience but i think if people really knew the price we were paying for convenience they wouldn't want it at all so there's lots of changes need to happen and need to happen pretty damn fast that's abigail forsyth She's the co-founder of Keep Cup and the guest on this episode of People Building Businesses. I have a Keep Cup, you probably have a Keep Cup, and the person we're talking to today is the reason we do. Abigail and her brother Jamie founded Keep Cup out of a Melbourne cafe back in 2008. The company has become a global success, and their reusable cups are now used in more than 65 countries around the world. I really enjoyed the conversation with Abigail, and her passion on a number of topics really shone through. We talked about the responsibility on business and business leaders to take meaningful action on sustainability, ethical supply chains, IP, the impact COVID-19 will have on coffee culture, her own leadership, and much more. Before we start, this podcast is brought to you by the team at YBF Ventures. We run tech innovation hubs in Melbourne and Sydney. We help our startups to scale, scale-ups to succeed, and corporates to innovate. You can find out more at ybfventures.com. My name is Jason Lim, and this is People Building Businesses. Could you tell us a bit about yourself, maybe a bit about your background? Um, I know you've spent a lot of time you know, with KeepCup, but... Who is Abigail the person? Ah, so um, my background is I was born in Scotland. I come from a um, close family. I've got two brothers who are also entrepreneurs. Um, so I guess it's sort of in our blood a little bit, I guess. And I was a lawyer and then um, opened some um, cafes with my brother in the late 90s. I ran that for 10 years and from there had the idea, well, had the idea and, and I guess the concern about the volume of waste we were using as a business and, yeah, wanted to do something about it. And is this Cafe Blue Bag, out of curiosity? Is yeah, it still around bag. today or? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's, okay. And, you know, the guy who um, ran our kitchen is still running the kitchen with the new owners. So it's, it's a nice story. The business has grown and, and done really well since we um, exited. That's amazing. We actually have a blue bag uh, just down the road from our office. So it's uh, it's doing pretty well these days. I didn't realize you yeah. founded it as well yeah. before this podcast. That's fantastic. Is that the one in Collins Street? Uh, Burke Street. Uh, yeah, the Collins Street one is the, that's where the kitchen is. And that's where we started Keep Cup. So, you know, we were packing the cups in, the, in an upstairs mezzanine of that building in Collins Street for a while. Amazing. So uh, growing up, did you ever have this inkling that you would ever be an entrepreneur or... Did you always, did you start with a traditional view on career and, you know, because you did law, so. Um. Yeah, I started with a pretty traditional, well, you know, at school, I, my top subjects were art and literature. Like it's, you know, 
I'm a creative and I think probably my brothers at heart are the same. We're all creative people, although our, our family background is not that. Um, and yeah, I guess my parent, parents encouraged me to do law. Like you get the marks, do law. Like why wouldn't you do it? So probably, you know, I guess my it's been a benefit in, I guess you learn to structure your thinking, you learn about problem solving, you learn about systems. And often, you know, just saying I was a lawyer, I guess repositions people in your mind as well. That's <laughs> what, true. Uh, did you enjoy being in law when you were practicing? Um, I did not enjoy the degree and sort of went <laughs> off the rails a bit at uni, but I got a job in a really small law firm in the city and the um, the partner that I um, worked with was a really terrific person and a great sort of, I guess, foil to my skills. Like he was very methodical, could think really clearly. And so I really enjoyed working as a lawyer. Although I must say that you know, my advice was sort of always why you're here. Like it would be so much better to find a commercial solution to this problem rather than, you know, you know, issuing proceedings is often banging your head up against a wall. It's very stressful for all parties. So yeah, I, I guess I felt my strengths lie, else, lay elsewhere in more commercial solutions to problems. So how did you go from that to, to Blueback? What was the, uh, the lightning rod moment? Or the light bulb <laughs> there was no light bulb. Was sort of, <laughs> um, so my brother Jamie was working in the UK, and um, he kept, he was he wanted to run a business. I guess like he kept coming up with ideas. He's like, oh, we could run a veterinary supermarket. Like he'd seen pet food stores. He had all these crazy ideas. And then one day he said, oh, I've seen Pret a Manger in London, and I was like, well, I'm a really good cook, and I like people, so you know, it can't be that hard to run a you know cafe business. Turned out it was quite hard. That <laughs> so was nothing more than that, really. And and I guess we were always, you know, we were um, obsessed by the recipes for the sandwiches, the branding of it, um, you know, what the stores would look like, and not really on the the P and L and you know the back end of the that that held little interest. Um, but we, you know, we did it, we made it. And um, yeah, I think that people who do well in a lot of food businesses, so much of it is cleaning and hygiene and processes, which is probably not, was neither of our real strengths. <laughs> oh my gosh. So what was a common misconception you think people have when they want to start a cafe business? Uh, you know, expectations versus reality. Oh, I think it's this, exactly the thing I thought. I'm, I like people and, um, you know, I'm good with, I'll be good with the customers and good with the relationships and um, I'm, I'm a good cook. But having to cook every day and build systems around cooking and, you know, the staff that you get in often, it's not their first career choice. They're there to, to earn revenue. It's not, it's not a vocation. So all those things make it quite tricky. And, I mean, if you get it wrong, you can kill someone. Especially, I always sort know, of sorry, sorry. After you. Oh, I was just going to say you know when we because we had a catering business that was part of blue bag you know and if you're five minutes late with the catering like they want to kill you like it, you know we wanted the sandwiches there at one you're five minutes late whereas if you're five minutes late with the keep cups no one cares so it's a quite a high pressure environment as well you know there's only one one hour for lunch that coffee rush in the morning if you miss it you've lost your revenue for the day is there any particular thing you're especially proud of having run Blue Bag uh, for, you know, over 10 years, I think, if I get my numbers right? Um, I was always really proud of the 
the food that we produced and um you know like at one point we had we had these fresh juice bars and we cut up the fruit and we'd have the music cranking we'd have cues like running down running down the road to come in and get a juice and we came up with all these crazy names and I don't know, I, I love the creative part of it and, you know, and, in, and that whole thing of engaging people in what you were doing and people loving what you did, that's quite intoxicating. So when did the idea for Keep Cup first come up in your head? Um, so probably it was like 2006, 2007. It was quite a while before we did anything. But, you know, you're deep in running a business which consumes 95% of your brain space. Uh, and I just saw the volume of packaging we were going through as a business and thought, this is crazy. And if you multiply that out across all the businesses in Australia, like the, the volume of waste that we're going through is just untenable. Um, and then looked around at how we could in, in, um, have something reusable in the stores because everything was on open refrigerated shelving and you just came in and grabbed a sandwich. So it was a lot of single-use packaging. Um, and I went and looked at, um, I don't know if they, they don't exist anymore, but there was Swords Wine where they used to refill the wine bottles at the Victoria Market. Oh. And they would wash the, wash the bottles. So you just kept reusing the same bottle. Um, so I looked at what they did. We looked at um, having salad containers, but it was all a bit tricky. And then um, we thought, well, you know, coffee is such high volume. It's, it seems like, an, and so we just went to buy a reusable cup to sell it in the store. And then went down to Maya and there were all these giant thermoses. They didn't fit under the group heads. You couldn't wash them. You couldn't clean them. Um, they didn't go in the microwave, didn't go in the dishwasher. Um, and thought, well, maybe we'll make our own. But all the time when we were doing this process, like always in the back of my mind is someone must already have done this. It's such an obvious idea. Um, yeah. And no one did it. And no one had done it. Yeah. That's incredible so, because... Yeah, Keep Cup right now is, you know, synonymous with reusable cups. I mean, I have a Keep Cup. Uh, you definitely have a Keep Cup. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, a lot of people out there have Keep Cups. So that's incredible that no one thought of the idea. Why do you think that was the case? I don't think people understood. Well, I don't think people understood that disposable cups weren't recyclable. And often they still do, do not um, 10 years later. Um, I don't think they understood the, vol you know, people are only just awakening to the volume of waste we're going through as a global community and how it's going to kill us um yeah and i think that but the thing is when we launched keep cup i still remember being at the first design market in fed square and people coming up going this was my idea i was thinking of this so even though we were the first to do it i think we we're the first of a, a big group of people who were you know concerned about the problem at the same time so when you had, after you had this idea, what was the product design and testing like? If you could just take ah. us through those early days. So, um, you know, it was me, myself and my brother, Jamie Forsyth. And so we would um, be discussing, you know, how we would do it and what it would be like. And, and initially we thought of doing it more like a Chet Pallet scheme where it would be a loan scheme, but we didn't think that would work. We didn't think the community was ready for that sort of volume of take up of reuse. So, Again, we're thinking, why hasn't someone done this before? Are we missing, like, are we missing something? Because this seems like an obvious solution to a big problem. Uh, and, yeah, will, pe will people reuse it? Like, is this something other people are concerned about like we were? So um, we couldn't use any of the um, thermoses that were on the market. So we 
got a decor soup mug and we gave people a 50 cent discount if they returned and reused. We sold it for $6 and we had 15% of our customers in the winter of 2007 use it for soup. Um, and it made us more money because the disposable packaging cost us 75 cents and we were giving a 50 cent discount. So we made 20, you know, we not, we didn't expend 25 cents for every, we made an extra 25 cents on every product. So that was good. Then we thought, and we'd done all the design of stuff in house and done these pretty wacky, yeah, we'd done all the design in house. So then we thought, well, if we're gonna do this, we need to engage industrial designers. So we went in with a picture and thought, you know, we wanted, I think one of the, <clears throat> one of our instincts and something that proved successful was we, we made it look a bit like a disposable cup. So we didn't want it to be conspicuous that you were using a reusable, we wanted you just about to fit in. Um, so we designed it to have the press on lid, it was fitted under the group head. So we really designed it so it could, it, you could make a great coffee in the product, which people often have missed. Um, yeah, so then we chose um we wanted to use local design local manufacturer so we went around to different manufacturers and then one guy said to me look this is you know this is just a plastic cup what on earth are you thinking um and he said if you you know there's a lot of great designs happen people make great products but if they can't sell them then don't worry about it there's heaps of better products than yours that are just sitting on in patent offices or you know so initially i was a bit upset about that um, opinion, but um, because we had all the catering business through Blue Bag, um, myself and my brother, we called like hundreds of companies and pitched the idea of Keep Cup. So through that, we got, we refined our idea. We understood who the buyer was going to be. So initially thought it would be sustainability department, but the sustainability department often didn't exist. And if it did, it had no money, had no budget. So then we went through to marketing and found it was marketing who would have the budget to buy. And then we pitched it to lots of companies and National Australia Bank, we pitched it to their sustainability team and they were moving to a new six star green building in the Docklands. And at the time, you know, they'd done all this stuff in terms of their infrastructure around the building. It was um, using grey water, it had solar on the roof, but they were still using disposable cups um, inside the office. And so what we were saying is there's a disconnect here. If you're, not, if you're not doing it all the way through and your staff are still using something single use, you're not really embedding that message of, of six star green building. So they purchased five and a half thousand off the prototype um, wow. and off we went from there. So, yeah. So that was the real inflection point where you kind of went, this is going to really take off. Sort of. I think we still didn't really like it was still pretty naive about the potential of the business and what it could do. But yeah, it was certainly, um, get, you know, it was enormously confidence boosting and paid for the tooling really. So what was what was that inflection point where you decided to step away from Blueback to then commit 100% of your time to, to keep cup? Oh, look, I was ready to get rid of Blueback as soon as I could. <laughs> 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 you know, it's hard work working in a kitchen and, you know, you've got to get up really early. And, you know, <laughs> the minute the minute keep cup took off, I was like, see you later. Um, oh, that's incredible. So... Uh, in terms of production, uh, you mentioned that you found local manufacturers. I, I presume doing production locally was a more expensive endeavor uh, than going overseas. Was that ever up for discussion or were you always going to be Australia focused? Uh, 
one, I guess, we knew that potentially the business could be, it was a global problem. So the, the business potential was always global. But it was my strong view that um, because we were solving, a, it was a sustainability problem, an impact problem, that if we we're going to make a product for the Australian market, we should make it in Australia. Like how are you, if you're importing it from China or importing it from another country, are you part of the problem or part of the solution? So I guess it was wanting to be really true to the purpose of the business that made that decision sort of, um, there was no other option really. That's a fantastic statement. And um, could you talk us through what it was like growing the company as well? At first it was you and your brother, Jamie. Uh, I presume at some point you had to bring in more people as the company scaled. What was that experience like for you as a CEO? starting from a two-person co-founded company all the way to the company that you are today? It's tough. It's super tough. Yeah, I mean, finding the right people, having confidence in yourself to lead the company, um, knowing the right way to grow, what skills you need, like all those things. You know, I look, we're about to launch a, a B2B website, which has been in progress for like three years. <laughs> Like, how come this has taken so long? But then I look back on last year and part of last year was just um, finding the right people to help, you know, do that work and, and grow the business. Like, things take a lot, a lot longer than you think they're going to take. Um, and then just understanding what you need takes a long time too. So, uh, mm. yeah, it's... What do you think was the biggest challenge in those early days for Keep Cup? Did you ever raise, for example, did you ever raise capital? Was capital ever an issue for you or? No. I mean, yeah, we've, we had a small loan when we started. We used a lot of the cash flow from um, Blue Bag to, to fund what we're doing. And then, um, yeah, we've just always grown organically. So That's we've fantastic. never taken and capital. And you, will you ever consider taking capital or is that completely out of the table for you? I'm very naive. I'm not really sure what we would need it for. Like we make, yeah. we make a profit and you know, what would we use that capital for? I don't know. I always feel like, and it's probably naive, but when you take on capital, you're taking on a boss and that boss is someone who wants to make money off the money you've given them and may drive you to make decisions that maybe aren't true to your values and, and what you set out to do. So I've been, I guess, very cautious about that and no one's offered any. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's actually really interesting because a lot of our listeners on the podcast are, are people who are thinking of starting, you know, startup companies. And, you know, these days the, the, the metric by which you judge, judge success for a startup is how much capital you've raised. And you've taken a yeah. different approach to that. Uh, I, I don't even, I don't understand that because to me, and I know from my, the experience that, look, if you're building some sort of app where you need massive amounts of people that are paying one dollar to, to make it it might make sense but if you're running a business that um you know is is money in goods out if you're not making a profit on on you know a, off a small base if you get you're just going to multiply the problem like as you grow if the business isn't profitable often you're just multiplying the, the problem that you've got if the model doesn't work, the model's not going to work at scale either for, for some businesses. So I think that whole um, Silicon Valley thing has sort of skewed people's reality about how things, in a, in an, if you're building an IT product, you do need scale to grow and, and make the thing work. But in a traditional business where it's a product or a, um, 
you know, a service, it, if you don't, if the model doesn't work at the outset, it, it, it mightn't work at, when you scale it either. Yeah, if it's not going to be, uh, you know, positive in margin at the start, it's, it's hard to, to get it to, to scale when, you know, you grow to become an even bigger company. So yeah. that's really great advice, actually. Um, so it, talking about your international growth, you're now in multiple different geographies. Uh, you know, Melbourne as a city itself is quite a progressive city where it might be easier to persuade people to switch to reusable cups because Melbourne's always had that socially conscious uh, culture embedded within mm -hmm. the city. Did you notice a difference in that when you scale to different cities and countries? Uh, yes, so totally. So we um, in the UK, we sort of came in at ground zero of the independent coffee scene. So mm. that, you know, in Australia, there's 80% independence, 20% chains. In the UK, it was the opposite. So getting a foothold, you can always get a foothold in the independent scene because you, you've got people who are wanting to, you know, make that difference. Whereas, um, yeah, it was, so it was tougher for that reason in the UK. And in the US... Um, one of the things that made Keep Cup successful was that in Australia, cafes only sold food and coffee and we gave them another revenue stream. So they were selling Keep Cups and it was very clear that we were um, an alternative to single-use cups. Whereas in America, they um, considered it like they've had merchandise for years. Think of Starbucks. You go and there's a wall of reusable cups and thermoses. Mm. So they consider it branding and merchandise so we go in and say we want to be an alternative for single-use cups and they're like yeah you're merch and we're like no we're not merch we're we're trying to be something else so but i don't know i i um yeah i've spoken to my dad about this and he's always like if you had have been if you had have moved to la and been in la and grown the business in la it would have it would have been bigger there like the presence of the of the founder and the person who's got the passion for driving the change makes such a difference. So um, it is Melbourne with its coffee culture and its independent coffee scene, but it's also, you know, the founder and where they are will, will drives it as well. And now that you've got operations in multiple different countries, uh, how hard is it running an international business? You mentioned the founder being important. Do you travel really often as well? Uh, Pre-COVID-19, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I did travel quite a bit and it is hard. Yeah, it takes its toll. Yeah, it's tough. We did a lot, like in the early days, we did a lot of trade shows. So we were at a lot of coffee shows, a lot of retail shows, really just trying to grow the brand and the business and find distributors. So, yeah, it's it's tough. And But in the early days, it's super exciting. Like it's thrilling to, you know, travel the world and, you know, meet people and, yeah, all that stuff. But, yeah, and it gets tougher hard to get older. How hard has it been when you know for you to to pass on or hand over different parts of the business to other people? Like you know, you, presumably you've had to hire head of US or head of UK. Keep Cup really is your your baby. I mean, every founder feels like the company is their baby. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you just trusting the reins of it to someone else in a different geography? It's it's hard, but uh, it's hard and it's not because when you get someone who does a good job. And you have a great commercial relationship with them and you can talk about the, you know, the issues of the business. It's easy. It's hard when you sort of don't have the trust in their mm. capability or capacity. And when you do, it's, it's easy. So what do you look for in someone when you want to bring them onto the Keep Cup team? Um, I look for someone who is a, so I guess the predisposition, I, 
I listened to a podcast the other day where a woman was saying that businesses are as different as people are. And I was like, oh, that, I'd never thought of that before, that of course a business has its own personality and its own predisposition. So um, I'm a real doer. So I need, I look for people who are, you know, very action oriented in, in how they approach things. Um, uh, I think they need to have a, a sustainability needs to be, fundamental to how they operate like it's it's baked into the business so if you're not thinking in those terms you're going to be out of step with how we think um, but you also need to be commercial like and be able to make good commercial decisions that um, you know you're always weighing up things and being able to make good decisions on the fly particularly in those overseas hubs where they need to weigh up those things and can't really bounce things off off me um, that's really important Sorry, as a CEO, what what do you define as what do you define as culture? Everyone has a different definition of culture within a company. Uh, what is Keep Cups culture? I'm not sure. I think it's quite creative. I think it's quite can do. Um, I think we think on our feet. I think we're all pretty passionate about um, behavior change and systems change and how we how we drive that. And um, I think there's always been real attention to the, uh, the quality of the product and the integrity of the product. We're really proud of the products that we produce, the relationships we have with our suppliers, um, the relationships we have with our customers. Like, that's really important to us. So, um, yeah. We'll get back to Abigail very shortly. First, thanks so much for listening today. If you're a regular listener and you enjoy the content, we'd love if you could subscribe leave a review, and a rating on Apple Podcasts. Let's get back to the chat with Abigail. And as a company leader, and, and you personally, actually, do you think your own leadership style has changed over the past 12 years through these different phases in Keep Cup's life? Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, oh, sort of, it's probably I've just grown more confident and and I guess more um this is how like I think it's more grown more confident but also understood understood what my leadership style is understood what my strengths and weaknesses are whereas I didn't before so knowing that this is how I operate and so you know for example I operate on a pretty big picture level so I need people in my team in the leadership team who are very detail oriented who can then you know action those things in a detailed way whereas I can't do that so it's it's being able to build a team around you that um, is a foil to your strengths and weaknesses and gives and also gives them um, ownership and a bit of uh, independence in what they're doing as well it's empowerment for your, yeah. your team as well yeah 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 fantastic so um, I want to talk next about competition because Keep Cup is a brand that's so strong that it's become synonymous for reusable cups globally. Uh, but since then, obviously, there have been a lot of competitors and, you know, for lack of a better term, copycats coming up. So how do you stay competitive in this environment? Ah, well, that's a good question. So um, I guess, yeah, if you sort of scratch the, the sustainability surface of me there is someone deeply competitive <laughs> underneath so I think <laughs> in order to stay in you have to be competitive like that has to interest you um, so I think that and I think just um, for Keep Cup I think being having that integrity and that relationship to specialty coffee and having designed a product that 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 really does work not 
you know, it's a cup that people continue to use because it works for them. And that's not a fluke. That's baked into the design of the product. Um, it's baked into the supply chain. It's baked into how we talk to customers. So it's, I guess it's distinctiveness and differentiation. And those things are, uh, you know, when we first started, it was just us against the single use cup. And now um, we've had all these competitors come on board. So then you become just another product company. And I think we're now looking to transform again and go, well, how can we, how can we form an alliance with these competitors and drive out single use? Like that's the aim. That's the real aim of the game. Like we want to end single use um, convenience packaging. So how, how do we, how do we join forces to make that happen is I guess one of the things we're thinking about now. So it goes back to the mission of the company really. And Absolutely. Growing, growing the pie so everyone gets a bigger slice. Yeah. Fantastic. From our research, we, we know that compostables is a particularly annoying word for you. Uh, mm -hmm. Why is that the case? <laughs> <laughs> because it's greenwash. It's just total greenwash. It's, you know, that in order for these cups to be compostable, they have to go into commercial composting facilities. And those commercial composting facilities are really important to create compost to enrich soil so that we continue to have topsoil on the planet. And if you're filling it with um, cardboard and um, either vegetable, um, you know, vegetable based plastic, you're degrading the value of the compost. So you're not actually solving the problem. You just, you're just swapping out the material. So you're still cutting down trees. You're still using a product once and wasting resources to drink a coffee. So it's just, it's just kicking the can down the road. It's not solving the problem. And you think that reusable cups are a great way to, to solve that problem? Well, I think it, not only reusable, reusable everything, like people need to reduce the amount of, we need to all reduce the amount mm. of stuff we're using um, and reuse what we've got. So that that's going to happen one way or the other. It's just what the earth looks like when we've finally done it is the real question. And uh, Keith Cup's been a B Corp since 2014 uh, as part of that mission. So how does that B Corp certification help your business? Um, so when we started, people would say, are you organic? Are you fair trade? Like, you know, what are you? What, if you're good, how are you good? Why are you good? And yeah. I think B Corp for us gave us that independent, um, it's, you know, it's a heavily audited certification that says that you are, you know, you're good to your employees, you're good to your customers, you look after your community and you have a positive impact on the environment. So it was just a, a way of um, verifying that we walk our talk. And um, was it uh, one, was the B Corp certification one of the reasons that Keep Cup was successful in getting into Whole Foods in the US, according to our, again, research, yeah. thanks to our producer, yes. Joe. <laughs> yes, that's What was true. the story there? So... Um, yeah, I think they, they were looking at other reusable cups and then the fact that we were a B Corp was the clincher on the deal to get into Whole Foods. Wow. And no one else was B Corp certified among that competitor base? Not at the time. That's interesting. Yeah, that was a right. long time ago. Like that was 2015. Wow. So you've really pioneered the way uh, or led the way in that sustainability movement. Um, so uh, going back to the early days, you mentioned that NAB was one of your first customers and uh, it was part of the sustainability team. Over the years, have you seen a change in the attitude of business leaders in corporate Australia towards sustainability and charitable causes? <laughs> Probably. 
Not as much as I would hope, though. And what do you think Corporate Australia needs to do to really change that? Uh, look, there's lots of issues. Well, divesting of fossil fuels and digging stuff out of the ground is really important, but it's going to be a challenge when our, our other biggest industries are education, service and tourism, which have just been absolutely smashed through this pandemic. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's, there's some layered things. So there's a, this, this whole idea that you um, have one hand to make money and the other hand to then create a charity. Like that is fundamentally flawed in the fact that you have to wrap those things together. If, you're not, if your business isn't contributing positively to a better world, you need to pivot your business like right now. So that's a, uh, an issue. I think um, another challenge has been the way sustainability has been sort of sidelined as a department and it often sits uh, in the back end of a business in its operations and, they, you know, there's all these certifications and, and boxes to tick instead of being out the front of the business, really driving its strategy and, and, and how it's in the marketplace. I mean, globally, consumers get blamed, you know, that people want convenience. But I think if people really knew the price we were paying for convenience, they wouldn't want it at all. So, um, yeah, there's lots of changes need to happen and need to happen pretty damn fast. You, you seem pretty uh, disappointed by, <laughs> by the length of time or it takes uh, for businesses to adapt to this new world of sustainability and or the need for sustainability ah oh, i mean just the, so you know i can get out so in 2010 we looked at what starbucks was doing and they're like oh we have a, a claim to have reuse rates at five percent by 2015 and they were at one point one point eight nine percent in 2010 and i was like oh wow like they're on this they're really serious about getting reuse on the agenda at starbucks at the time all their stores, if you want to have a coffee inside Starbucks, you're having it in a disposable cup. So overnight, if they just put ceramics and reusable cups into their stores, they could get to 25% reuse rates. But 10 years later, they're still nowhere near it. And now they're peddling out some cup that they say is made from um, old disposable cups, like it's recycled, but it's only 30% of the whole contents of the cup. The rest of it's all virgin plastic and so they have no intention of changing their business model like 10 years later like what it's, yeah so I'm pretty I guess you know you go in with good faith and 10 years later you see that people aren't really genuine about making the change they're going to have to be dragged by consumers demanding the change it's pretty disappointing especially when you I guess when you see you know we get told all about recycling and it's only now, I mean, even 10 years, we were pushing recycling as well, but 10 years later, you realise that only 9% of all the plastic ever produced ever in the world has been recycled. Wow. Like, so the whole thing is, it's, recycling is never going to be the answer. And, and yet governments are still pushing that as a solution to the problem and it's not. So, One of the biggest things to happen uh, for sustainability in Australia was the banning of single-use plastics. And I know you publicly supported the bill uh, to achieve that. What do you think needs to happen for more of that to occur, for more successes like that to occur? 
Well, so um, I guess it all it all moves around this circular economy movement. So the idea that instead of take, make waste, that we leave products in play for as long as we possibly can and then um, downcycle them or, or um, dispose of them. But in order for a circular economy to work in Australia, you need a circle and you need an economy. And we don't, Australia manufactures barely anything. So in order, how do, how do you how do you get that circle going if we're not making the stuff that we need for our own community to, to keep that going? But on the other hand, that is that is an answer to the problem of unemployment that is going to happen all over the world now. Like, Australia is what it going to be at thirteen percent? I would suggest it's probably going to be higher than that. But if you're washing and reusing and repairing, you push all the jobs back down into local com local communities, and and um, yeah, you can really drive change. Whereas if you're just some factory in I don't know Indonesia pumping out disposable cups. All the money's going to the per, the guy who owns the company. None of it, none of it gets pushed back into community. So it's it's change. We have to change the economics. You seem really vocal about social issues. <laughs> Where does this passion come from? <laughs> I don't know. Just you know, just walking with my son this morning down the Merry Creek, and it's full of rubbish. Like there's just rubbish. There's foam in the water from God knows what's been. Just like I don't know. Could That's be so, much, and it could be beautiful. Could be beautiful. So I guess the, the passion is from the beauty I see that could be there. Could be there. That's crazy. That's th thanks for your for being so vocal. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it. I think there aren't many business leaders out there who really take the time to to advocate for these things. So I think you you're unique in that sense. Well, uh, I hope not. I hope I'm common as. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. One day. How do you find your voice to speak so publicly about these issues? Um, was it always, you know, was it always something that you envisioned yourself leading no. the charge on? No, no, no. I'd just like it to happen. But if it's not going to yeah. happen, like, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, for a long time, just carrying a keep cup was enough. You know, you'd see mm. someone in the street with one, you'd give them a nod and it, it was a, a, a protest in itself, but it's not now. And we need to go a lot harder and a lot faster to, to make the change we need to make. Yeah. You know, um, like bushfire season's about to be on Australia again. And what's happened? What's been done? <sighs> <laughs> so uh, I want to move on to a somewhat related topic. Um, you know, COVID-19, obviously the, the topic on everyone's minds. Uh, well, firstly, how has COVID-19 been for you and your team? Uh, everyone doing okay? Yes, everyone's doing. In terms of health and well-being, everyone is good. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, so early on in COVID-19, some cafes actually temporarily stopped accepting reusable cups. Yep. How do you manage that? And what do you think are the implications of that? Mm -hmm. So that, that happened and it swept through the world when Star so Starbucks banned them and the world pretty much followed. Um, so we, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about how we were going to talk about that and how, you know, the logic of that was the same as the logic of people saying 10 years ago that, um, that reusables weren't as had lesser impact the disposable cups had less impact than reusables we had to confront that 10 years ago so it was like groundhog day in terms of mm. um the myth making around that we went out with some communication where we we did get a, a bit of criticism about um that we weren't really considering people's health and also the health of frontline workers serving coffee 
But at the same time, we knew that the, um, the plastics lobby was in there trying to repeal environmental legislation, trying to repeal single-use um, bans that were happening in America. So, yeah, it's, it's been a difficult time. I think there's a, a hundred scientists went out in the Guardian a couple of months ago and said re, it makes no difference. Like, reuse is just as important as, you know, to continue that is really important, especially because of the avalanche of plastic that's coming from the, all the PPE equipment. So I think it's changing, but, you know, people are cautious. And also you've got to understand if you're the person making the coffee on the coffee machine, it's difficult to get the right information. And of course their health is the first priority. So it's been a challenging time. What do you think will happen with the reusable cup movement coming out of COVID-19? People saying, you know, for example, travel is going to take years to recover. Do you think that's the case with the reusable cup industry as well? Or do you think it's going to revert back to, to where it was? Well, I think it's not, it's not so much the reusable cup industry, it's the cafe industry. Yeah. What's going to happen to that? Like that's a tough industry to be in on a good day and to be in it now must be just incredibly difficult. So I, you know, I don't think a lot of cafes won't survive this time. Um, what's going to happen to the world of work? Like if people are continuing to work from home, what happens to that, that cafe industry? What happens, what even happens to the culture of coffee in a way? So, you know, in, in some ways I used to say that people used to go out for a cigarette break in the 80s and 90s and then coffee sort of became that substitute um, pause and if people are working from home you know I, I'm not drinking as much coffee as I used to working from home so what what happens to that whole that whole industry is in for a shift as well Any and, and, and maybe it will be that people will you know sit down and have their coffee yeah. in-house or at home and you know there'll be just less takeaway culture full stop which in my view would be a great result so what does keep cups roadmap out of COVID-19 look like Oh, we don't have a roadmap. <laughs> uh, no, no, we've got a few things going on. So we're, we're um, you know, I guess we're really focusing on making sure our e-commerce offer is is sound and um, and is both for B2C and B2B. Um, we've got some other products in development which will come out early next year. Uh, but I think, yeah, I mean, there's... I think being the, the having the, the quality of product we do and the integrity of mission that we do and the supply chain that we do, you know, the business is going to look different, but it will still will still be there. And I think we see our role is to be increasingly vocal around um, the change that we'd like to see in the world, that it no longer wants, needs or uses disposable cups and then extending that to all convenience packaging. That's fantastic. And uh, I, I'm conscious of time, so I, I just have one last question for you before we wrap this up. Sure. Uh, what does the future of Keep Cup look like? And I guess wrapped up in that question is any hints on new products coming out soon? Um, well, we've always wanted to do products that um, I guess have their own uh, IP. Like IP has been a big thing to protect us from, from our competitor set. So, um, yeah, we've got some exciting products that I guess are, are still in that replacing single-use products. So. Yeah, it's it, like it's yeah. It's a it's a long journey ahead, and there's plenty of uh, other areas to to improve on in terms of sustainability. So, for sure. Uh, 
Amazing. Abigail, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really Thanks, enjoyed Jason. speaking with you. Um, and everyone out there, get yourself a keep cup. Uh, it, it goes a long way. Mm -hmm.